0: Welcome to the Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through his word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. Today we're gonna to continue our series titled Resilient. And just as an encouragement, I hope today you think right now, what is my mindset right at this moment? And what is my my perspective, my posture as I'm coming in to receive, because this is a big series. So you could take on, Paul talks about being an athlete, being a soldier, being a farmer. Take one of those postures today, lean in, because here's what we said in week one, we're going on a, on a God journey. God's got somewhere for you to go, God's got somewhere for us to go together. Um, so we're in our third installment on the pillar uh, known as the professional pillar. Week one was the uh, spiritual pillar. Week two was the physical pillar. But the reason why we talk in terms of pillars, and there's six pillars we're going to be discussing through this series, is because pillars preserve power. Romans eight eleven says, The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. But these pillars, emotion, emotions, your physical body, your money. All these pillars, they preserve power. And when these pillars are not strengthened, when they're not fortified, when they're not stabilized, you leak life. You leak energy. You leak power. So we want to strengthen these pillars because there's a journey that's ahead. All right? Proverbs 25, 28 puts it this way. Like a city without walls is a person who lacks self-control. In the ancient world, walls were the protective mechanisms to defending and protecting against vulnerability. And I believe these pillars that we're talking about are the things that will protect your vulnerabilities. And they have to be strengthened. And we've seen that they aren't. And so this is our moment to begin to prepare and to awaken and to lock down uh, the life of God for the journey that is ahead so we're going to jump into our assessment but just to know what I'm working with today by a show of hands how many of you here are in full-time ministry by a show of hands okay great Put your hands down. Uh, Let's get started on our assessment, okay? So what I want you to do is you're walking in, you should have received this assessment. Take out your phone, please. Open up your camera app. Put it over the QR code. It'll pull up the uh, professional assessment for you so that you can take it. We're going to do it right now. Everybody, uh, please jump in. And if you take it online, that is going to help us in really seeing collectively where we're at. But let me just encourage you. Personal assessments that we take are probably the lowest form of assessment. The highest form is when you begin to invite others into your life to see if these actually are things that you're doing, but that's just a side note. All right, question number one, my career is very fulfilling to me. I love what I do. Is that never true, rarely true? Infrequently true, sometimes true, usually true, or always true. Number two, my career challenges me and it keeps me learning and growing. Where does that fall? Number three, (laughs) I am very good at what I do. It's all right. This is your time to say I'm very good at what I do. Number four, I intend to invest in my own personal development in this calendar year, which is almost over. I intend to invest in my own personal development in this calendar year. Number five, I recognize that my work, it matters to God. My work matters to God. Number six, I worship God with my work. I worship God with my work. Number seven, I help others in my work. I help others in my work. Number eight, I know what it means to live each day with purpose. Each day with purpose. Number nine, the work God has given me, I use to help others. The work God has given me, I use to help others. And number ten, I'm emphasizing some things here, by the way. I regularly... Regularly. Pray for my boss, co-workers, employees, and the customers I serve. Regularly pray for them. Great. Take that, set that aside, and just a reminder, today we're going to be talking about the area of life where we all spend the majority of our energy, our emotions, and our waking hours. And in the first week, we're going to be covering really mindset and motivation. And then in week two, we'll we'll be talking about the methods or the practices or the ways that we can begin to build habits towards this pillar. But today we're going to be talking about mindset and motivation. And of course, we're talking about work, the professional pillar. Now, here's what I want to tell you there's going to be some tension. You're going to experience some tension in this message. It's just going to happen. So I just want you to lean into it and just remember we're here to grow. And when we think about growth, rather than it being some ethereal thing, the way that I interpret growing is, are my perspectives shifting? Is my mindset shifting? Shifting Is my language shifting? And then ultimately, are my actions beginning to shift? That, that is growth. Here's what Romans 12.1 in the Message Bible says. It's great. Here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life. You're sleeping. Talked about that last week. You're eating also. Going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering what I want you to do. Title of uh, my message is this. Why work? Why work? Why work? We're going to be talking about the theology of work. And like one author said, when you see this, it's like discovering a new continent. So here's the question to start—not a trick question, by the way—and I need you to respond: How many hours are there in a day? Okay, I heard some different answers. <laughs> twenty-four hours. Twenty-four hours in a day. Let's break down. Hey, nobody. No shame. No condemnation. We're all, we're all here to grow, right? Um, let's break down the average twenty-four hour day. Okay, so. Here, if you got the first one wrong, let me come back with this one to help you out. Um, How many hours does the average American sleep? Eight. That's right. Not counting college students or parents of young children. Um, Eight hours, okay? And the average American works about how many hours a day-ish? Eight. That's right. All right, so be doing the math with me. Then you have to get to and from work, so... Uh, They say the average commute here in the Phoenix area is one way, 25.4 minutes. Don't know who comes up with these, but one way. So if you go to and from work, that's 50.8 minutes. Let's say you grab a cup of coffee, get some gas. Let's just round it up to an hour. So be doing the math with me. Uh, How many of you um, daily you exercise, excuse me, you move daily? All right. They say on average, that's about an hour Um, so if we include eating in your to-do list, grocery shopping, errands, which is usually about two hours, that's about 20 20 hours, okay, Uh, so there's four hours left, and on average, uh, what do we do with those additional four hours as Americans, what would you think? Watch TV, scroll on our phones, right, get distracted by some device, that's true, that's true. So, so think about this. Half of every single day, half of our awake hours, not our sleeping, half of it is spent working. Sociologists say that over the course of our life, including vacations and retirement, that one third of our life is spent working. Hope I, I'm not like you're, you're feeling depressed right now. No, there's three perspectives when it comes to work. To some people, work is you dread it. It's something you dread. Something like even now, as I just mentioned it, you're you're thinking tomorrow's Monday and you have to go to work, and there's there's anxiety. Um, while you're there, you count the hours until it's over. It's it's boring. It's a curse. And I was recently, how many of you enjoy Chipotle on, on, on the regular? I do. You know, Chipotle makes phenomenal burritos and things like that. But there's some things that they, they they've got some philosophy on the back of their, their bags that you buy. Like, here's, here's what I saw recently. It said this, hope that in the future, all is well, everyone eats free no one must work, and all just sit around feeling love for one another, right? Some people, I think, when it comes to work as a curse, they agree with the whoever this Chipotle the- philosopher was or whatnot, right? But is it accurate? So to some, it's a curse. To others, work is—it's where you derive meaning and significance, satisfaction. Self-worth, belonging, value, identity. I'm a banker. I'm a doctor. I'm a v- the VP of sales. I'm the CEO, the CMO. I'm an entrepreneur. It becomes this source of identity and idolatry. There's intimacy with, with the image. It's, it's where you worship. You sacrifice health and time, your children, your, your marriages for work. It's an addiction. It's an addiction. If you look at Workaholics Anonymous in the United States, they ask these questions, right? Are you more excited about work than you are your family? Do you take your work often and frequently to bed with you? Has your family or friends, have they just given up on you showing up for events or dinners or things like that? While you're driving, while you're falling asleep, while other people are talking to you, do you often think about your work? That's the questions that they ask, right? Work is a God. Singapore, the average work week is 85 hours a week. In the USA, it's 55 hours a week. And in Europe, it's 35 hours a week. So should we move to Europe? Some of you are wondering. I mean, so there, there is this, this, this concept of, of unhealthy worship and There's there's healthy worship as well, but to some it is a curse. To some it's a God. How How do you see work? How have you seen work? How do you define it? And how is that shaped, informed in your life? Why do you go to work? What motivates the work that you do? And when you do the work or the work that you've done, where was your mind at? What was it set on? All of us have stories that are important. And our stories, they've shaped our view of work. But remember, God has a story. God has a story, and his story also intersects with our story for us to be able to get a proper view and perspective of work. And his story on work starts In the first sentence in Genesis 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The words for the heavens and the earth is a Hebraic idiom that means from top to bottom, everything. In the beginning, God created everything. God, the first glimpse we get of him, he is working. He's at work. He's crafting. He is creating. He's forming, shaping, architecting. He's taking raw materials, and he's forming things. This is important. As the story unfolds in Genesis 1.26, then God said, let us make mankind, or humans, in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule. This is a Hebrew word, radah. Everyone say radah. And its meaning is important. Radah. God creates humans, makes them in his likeness so that they may rule, reign, have dominion. This isn't some some dominating picture though. It's, It's authority, It's ownership. God hands ownership of this project to humans. One translation for Radah is God's looking for partners and this is active partnership with God in taking the earth, the world somewhere. God wants... Adam and Eve to develop to refine to beautify think a shot uh, excuse me think a potter shaping clay it's not harsh or oppressive this word is very it's kingly it's royal language co-regents partnership for the sake of what is is ruled not for the sake of those who are ruling god hands this over to humanity so from the beginning of the story god is looking for partners on the earth. Then Genesis 1:27, so God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God, he created them male and female he created them, men and women, living as kings and queens ruling over the earth as partners. And they're not they're not sitting back Drinking, you know, pina coladas and and just telling everybody what to do. No, they're they're cultivating, they're tilling the land. They're they're taking it somewhere. Then verse 28 of Genesis 1, referred to as the cultural mandate. God blessed them and he said to them, "Be, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Verse 28, God blesses them. Why is that important? Because this is what God is like. He blesses them. This is God's nature and his character to bless humanity. I don't care who told you what God is like, erroneously, religiously. God is looking for partners. He blesses humanity because he has a great desire to see partnership in the project of this earth go somewhere. And what is this blessing? Be fruitful and increase in number. That's a totally different message. Preston talked about it a few months ago. But he goes on to say, fill the earth and subdue it. This word in Hebrew, subdue, is kavash. You've heard a term like that, put the kibosh on something. And subdue means make things as they should be for the good of things. Or wrestle and wring profit from its hands. Or cut a path through a virgin forest. Subdue the earth. Cut a path through a virgin forest. Intentional, thoughtful, not passive. Take the earth somewhere. Why were humans created? They were created to rule and to subdue, to create and to shape. We were made, you and I were made to work. Like it's in the central makeup of humanity. It's in your DNA. And there is this myth that floats around the church that who you are is what's important, not what you do. But really? I mean, who you are, of course, is crucial. Your character and your identity, but what you do matters. It's central to your role as an image bearer of God. I mean, guys, what's, not to be stereotypical, but what's the first question another guy usually asks you? What do you do? What do you do? And here's why. Think about this for just a second. If you've ever or are experiencing unemployment, it's gut-wrenching. When, when I've sat down with people who are in transition, could be that they've had a, a significant role at a company for several years and there's a transition and and, and their view is work is in some ways it's it's a God that title, that amount of money that they've made, and the very first question when they lose it, who am I? Who am I? Right, because work's not meant to tell you your identity, but for many, that's what it does. So when they lose their work, who am I? Or you transition to retirement, yeah, who am I? I get it. But God never intended work to give you a sense of identity Here's who you are. You're a son or a daughter of God. But because there is this this tension there, many times when people are out of work or people who retire early, if they don't have a proper theology of work and understanding, they become very grumpy and unhappy. Because when we stop working, The central design of God's makeup for us. When we stop creating shalom, bringing wholeness to the earth, the thing that's embedded in our DNA, we stop being fully human, fully alive and awake. And I know that this is going to pop some of your bubbles, but like we were made to work. Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden which Eden means pleasure or delight, to work it and take care of it. Work in Hebrew is this word avad or abad. And the first glimpse that we see of humans, just like the first glimpse we see of God, is working, ruling, reigning. So the first blessing in the story is work. So, question true or false? Work is the curse. False. God blessed them and he says, Get to work. And this word for work is a Hebrew word that everywhere else we see it, it means one of three things work, service, worship. Work, service, worship. So, Adam. He didn't worship God in the garden just by reading his Bible and praying and staying away from a few bad apples. That's a cheesy dad joke. Um, He worshiped God by doing the work that God gave him to do in the garden and to do it well. This is why the majority of the parables that Jesus told had a workplace context. 39 of the miracles recorded in the book of Acts occurred outside a church setting. Because it's apparent that God is as concerned with displaying his power outside the walls of the church as he is within it. Because every person, through the lens of the theology of scripture of work, every person is in full-time ministry. See, God is, is working with us to create shalom, wholeness, beauty, to bring uh, order to chaos on the earth. It's why when you read God giving this cultural mandate, Adam's sons in Genesis 9, 10, 11, they begin creating technology. They begin using this technology in a bad way for themselves. They build the Tower of Babel. God intervenes. This is the story time and time again. We read First and Second Kings and God, or in Genesis 12, God is, appoints Abraham. He, he gives uh, a mandate to Abraham uh, for his people, the Israelites, the Hebrews, and they begin to take the cultural mandate and it becomes very self-centered and self-focused and kings rise and kings fall and miss the point and miss the point and God seems to be okay. He hasn't changed where the story's leading us. It starts off in a garden in Genesis 1. Read Genesis 20 and 21. The story ends in a garden that has now been cultivated, that is now a city. There has been been architecture design. So the third perspective, so work can be a curse, work can be a God, work is worship. Work is worship, right? The work that you do as an entrepreneur, The work that that you do as a domestic engineer, maybe a stay-at-home mom, a stay-at-home dad, the work that you do as an EMT, the work that you do at Intel or whatever digital company you work for as an investment banker is worship. Worship. But Brad, we worship on Sunday at 11. That's worship. We we sang those songs, that's my, apparently to God, who is not in the 1% and he's in the 100%. Worship is all of your life. This is important. Uh, The statistics tell us that 43% of people are unhappy with their jobs. One study puts that number at 77%. 77% of people are unhappy with their jobs, and every year that number goes up and up and up. Question, anyone here unhappy with their job? Don't lift your hand. Think about it. Why? Well, as the story continues from Genesis 2.15 to Genesis 3, we know that Adam and Eve sinned and their decision to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil distorts, diseases this story. So we read in Genesis three seventeen through nineteen. And to the man he said, "Since you listened to your wife and you ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you'll struggle to scratch a living from it." You identify there, it'll grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains by the sweat of your brow. Will you have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made? For you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. God curses the ground. Toil, thorns, thistles, pain, sweat of your brow. So the blessing is to rule, to reign, subdue. Genesis 1, 2 Life is like, it's starting, it's in this rhythm, it's, it's working, it's humming along. It's like if I had a stack of white papers that were all ordered, things are happening in Genesis 1 and 2. Genesis 3, sin enters, I take that stack of white papers and I just fling them and they're totally disordered and chaos. That's what we see. Disruption to the way of life. The blessing is cursed and humans need to be saved. Humans need to be saved and we need to broaden our perspective of salvation. So yes, it means to be put into right relationship with the creator, but also to put back right with creation and work. We have to see it correctly. We were created by God to rule and to subdue the earth. And we see this in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, which we like to quote one part. We don't like to finish it, though. But Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says, Yes, it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God. Verse 9, not by works so that no one can boast. Yes, that salvation did not come through your efforts but through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But Paul doesn't stop his flow of thought. He goes on to say in verse 10, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Good works prepared for you in advance to do. What are good works? Well, here's some thoughts from various authors and scholars, one one person says, these are the good works. It's the expenditure of energy, manual or mental or both, in the service of others, which brings fulfillment to the worker, benefit to the community, and glory to God. Dorothy Sayers, a British writer from half a century ago, said that the best way to serve others with our work is to serve the work the best way to love and serve others with our job is just to be really good at our jobs if you're a pilot the best way to serve your passengers is to be a really good pilot if you're a chef the best way to serve your customers is to make really good food amen if you're a neurosurgeon the best way to serve your patients is to be a really good doctor i mean question are you good at what you do Or the work that you've been given, were you really good at it? Did it display God's beauty? Does it display God's beauty? Why? Why not? It might tell you that you've been leaning into a perspective. What does it matter? Who cares? Work is the curse. It's terrible. You know, whatever it is. But, But is that in alignment with God's view? God's perspective and actively partnering with humanity to take the world somewhere. Dorothy goes on to say, the church's approach to an intelligent carpenter is usually confined to exhorting him to not be drunk and disorderly in his leisure hours and to come to church on Sundays. What the church should be telling him is this, that the very first demand that his religion makes upon him is that he should be good at making tables. He should make good tables tables I mean how many of you not some of you who might be struggling with uh, uh you know too much shopping but how many of you have ever purchased a piece of furniture where a craftsman took maple and created furniture and when you see that piece of furniture it's like something just comes alive like you you get this 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 sense that like wow that's incredible that that's that's displaying something of the God uh, that that is the one taking this world somewhere. Or I, I may break it down to this on a daily basis. Maybe you have gone to, and you're such a purveyor of coffee, and there's a barista who she... Or he puts their, their very essence and artisan into your cup of coffee. And they do coffee latte art or whatever it is. And when you take a sip, it's like there's angels dancing on your tongue, right? Like you have felt God's beauty or God's glory in it. You may not have been aware that that's what you were experiencing. But when people do really good work that fits them, blesses others, It displays something. Work should, in fact, be thought of as a creative activity undertaken for the love of the work itself and that man made in God's image should make things as God makes them. As God makes them for the sake of doing well a thing that is well worth doing. God works. You're made in his image. There's also bad work. Work that does not create shalom, doesn't help others, doesn't bring beauty. But before you wrestle in the tension of the work that you do, on Thursday night, we had a young lady who was feeling this way. She was seeing what I was saying, but she's like, I deal cards at the casino. And I'm around people that are intoxicated a lot. Does my work, does it? God calls you salt and light, places you in the middle of brokenness to repair and bring beauty, you're out where the action is. So before you eject yourself, and we'll talk about it, see things from his perspective. Because you were created for good works. The word we use for good works that's really only, it's really not that that long ago that we took on this word by theologians is vocation. The Latin word voca for to call, vocation. It's an, kind of an old, sometimes outdated, overused, also brilliant and stunning, essential and captivating word that we need to grasp. A calling from God. For some of you, you know, you hope that is your, your job or your occupation or where you get a paycheck. But it's not always. I mean, it's how God designed you. How God called you to serve in this world. Occupation is what you do to make a living. But vo- vocation, by what I just read, it's, it's, it's work that fits you. It helps others. It glorifies God. I mean, there should be moments where you're working and you're like, this fits me. This this fits me. Can you say that about what you do? Is it your perspective? Is it your mindset that doesn't allow you to say that? Or is it just not work that fits you? Does it help others? Does it serve others? Does it create shalom where humans can thrive, where humans can live in God's presence? I spent a decade of time working at a small company with just a handful of employees called GoDaddy for a season of time, I helped people to bring about their dreams through digital tools in the online space. Does your, does your work help to reshape the imaginations of others to see God's presence and God's beauty? Does your work glorify God? You're an image bearer. You re- represent God's image as a worker, as a creator, as an architect, as a shaper, as a developer. And your vocation isn't always your occupation. I mean, for those of you who are a stay-at-home parent, stay-at-home mom, stay-at-home dad, like, do you work? Like, duh! Yes! You're shaping this child and innocence and beauty. And those of you who are students, your vocation, your calling at this season is to study, to learn. That is your calling. You're not working for a degree. You're not working just to, to be able to get a piece of paper. You're working to create shalom in the world, to repair brokenness, to bring order out of the chaos as unto the Lord. The problem sometimes when we use this word calling, it shrinks our minds to the size of a pea. And we have these corny ideas uh, about what our calling supposed to look like because of course the lie is God calls people Brad like what you're doing there on that stage that's that's the spiritual stuff to work at like churches and do missionary work but the truth is is we're all missionaries sent into this world to the cities that we live in we're missionaries in the spheres where we work I was a missionary to GoDaddy for 10 years. My family, my grandfather, if you drive right up this street, he started a business here in 1963 called Vans Pro Shop. Now, he didn't necessarily have this perspective in theology, but when I grew up, we, my family in, in Ventura, California, we had a golf shop, and I watched my parents, in their work, create a, a space and a place where people would experience and buy great golf equipment, Get their golf clubs re gripped and re whipped, and they would see and love on those people. I saw that work, but sometimes our idea of spiritual work is quite possibly opening a coffee shop and calling it Hebrews or Holy Grounds. Like, really? Or maybe if you're bold enough, you know, this, this holiday season, instead of saying like happy holidays, you're going to defiantly say Merry Christmas. Maybe sneak in and have a blessed day, and that, that's what it means to really be spiritual. Or maybe your idea is you got to force these awkward moments. Maybe you're in insurance sales. And so you, you, you think in your mind, now that I've sold you life insurance, how about insurance for life after death? That's, that's where the spiritual stuff is. No, and I'm not against wearing your WWJD bracelet. But this idea that like, if you're a dentist, you have to etch you know, John three sixteen on somebody's crown is just <laughs> limited. Like in the Hebrew language, Isaac said it in, in the spiritual pillar, in the Hebrew language. Genesis through Malachi, there's no word spiritual. There isn't a word for spiritual. It's not there. And the reason why is God is not in the 1%. He's in the 100%. All of your life matters to God. Now in the New Testament, Paul uses a word for spiritual and it means animated by the Holy Spirit. Animated by the Holy Spirit. The teacher, the hodegeia, the mountain guide. Like that's that's so huge. Like that's so huge for us. It all matters to God. Bible Bible reading, prayer, church attendance, we classify that as spiritual. But to God... Worship is ascribing worth, displaying God's beauty, representing God, showing up and showing off. That's why Colossians three, twenty-three. Paul says, whatever you do, whatever your task may be, work from the soul. Put in your very best effort as something done for the Lord and not for men. Brad, you don't know my boss. God's your boss. You don't know the story of the person that you're working with. I had the, the privilege and the honor of letting God reshape my lens and my perspective as I was working in what some have have called, you know, the corporate world. No, just working on the earth to what God gave me and I applied and learned and we'll talk about some methodologies, but if you're a landscape architect, if you're a civil engineer, if you're a mechanic, a teacher, an entrepreneur, a barista, if you're a lawyer, if you are a stay-at-home mom or dad, if you're a student, God calls people to this. It's important. Does it fit you? Are you helping others? You need to see your work as a calling from God. And in order to do that, we have to address some messages. First is, work is means, a means to an end. This idea like, we work to play, I work for the weekend, I work for money. no. You don't have a proper theology, a framework, a lens of work. You've bought into the lie. The American dream is devolved. Make as much money as you can in the shortest amount of time as you can so you can retire and play golf in Florida. No. This is a recent idea. This is a recent perspective. It started off, if you work hard, you can make a life. But now it's, we work to live rather than you actually live to work. It's in your DNA. Your radah, your ruling, your authority on this earth needs repair. And the second message is, certain work is sacred, it matters to God. Another work is secular. This sacred, secular divide. I like what A.W. Tozer said. He said, one of the greatest hindrances to internal peace which the Christian encounters is the common habit of dividing our lives into two areas, the sacred and the secular, so that we live a divided instead of a unified life. Pastoral work, missionary work, that's the stuff God is into. No, no. If you, if you think that way, you eject God from your life. You push him out. See, the, the word we use to describe the work that Jesus did in the first Major portion of his life, t- uh, William Tyndale is the one who, who fashioned it to carpenter. But actually, there wasn't a whole lot of wood around. Jesus was, the, the, the Greek word is tecton. He was a mason. He was a builder. He was a construction worker. I mean, and he spent the majority of his time doing that. The three years that we look at as ministry, and by the way, ministry just means service, was, was small, important, but the other part was important too. That's why 50% of his parables are business illustrations. Because what you do matters. We need bankers, baristas, architects, electricians, electricians, plumbers. You repair brokenness in our worlds. You bring a sense of shalom when you're sprinklers. When the heads pop off and water is bursting, you need a plumber. You need a landscape architect. I need them to bring shalom. They're there to do that. You do that. The work that fits you helps others. Glorifies God. Guys, it's really important. And I started off with the question, how many of you in here by raise of hands are in full-time ministry? And of course, I want to end with that. Question. Question. And before I do, I want to remind you of what Habakkuk the, the a prophet said. Seeing into the distant future in Habakkuk 2.14, he said, The time is coming when the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And this word my wife mentioned earlier for glory. It's the Hebrew word kavod, kabod, means wait. It means heaviness. And yes, the glory of God filled the temple, but it also means God's significance or importance. See, there is this part, God's presence, but there's also God's beauty. And and Habakkuk says there's gonna come a time when the whole earth is gonna have the knowledge of God's glory. They're gonna see it. They're gonna wake up in the morning and be like, look at that cup of coffee. That thing reflects the glory of God. Oh, and by the way, the barista who made it and the person who made the the machine that was able to extract, how incredible are these image bearers of God? Remember, we're all image bearers of God. We may not all have royal blood flowing through our veins, but every human is an image bearer of God. Look at the beauty. And those people who harvested these coffee beans, there's coming a day when the whole earth will be awakened, that that chair you're sitting on and the amplification of these speakers came because somebody used. They used their gifts and their skills in such a way, and we miss it. You drove on roads this morning, past uh, architecture and landscape design. Did you actually take time to allow your mind to be filled with God's goodness and beauty and glory? The truth is, is no, no. But what if instead of starting with the whole earth, what if this church, what if this church could grasp this and say, God, fill us so that we would turn to one another and see God's glory? What do you do? Oh, well, I'm a nurse. Tell me, about, tell me about what you do. Oh, my God, this is amazing. Wow. You help people that have babies. You help people that are sick. What do you do? Well, I don't do something that significant. I only help people to build websites. Wait, 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 wait. You do what now? You help people convey their passion and their vision and their dreams and their desire to bring, uh, you know, to make like whatever it is, it's all part of the artistry. And it's all part of what God has created us to do. And so I want you to, Respond to my invitation, to this message. If you're here and you say, Brad, yes, I want to respond and reapproach work as full-time ministry. If that's you, I want you to stand to your feet. Say, Brad, I want to do that this week. You can stand on your feet right now if that's you. Just invite you to stand. And those of you who are here, you say, Brad, well, I'm retired well, I might just encourage you to get refired rather than retired, because we have a group of eighty-year-old-ish uh, people that are, have jumped into our trunk or treat to be able to build and craft uh, a trunk for kids who are going to come that are out, outside of our community, from the community. They're using their gifts and their talents and their skills so that they can be a blessing. I, I encourage you get in on the action. You're not retired. You have work, things, find what God has fashioned you. But the way that I wanna end with you is like they would end uh, years ago if there were gonna be missionaries that had accepted the call to go overseas. They'd give, them a, they'd give them a ticket so they could get on the boat and they'd immediately leave that next day. <laughs> I wanna commission you to go out into your world and to serve and to help others, and ask God to open up your spiritual eyes of understanding that you would see the work that you have done, the work that you are doing as significant and important. And there's people that God's put around you that he is actually having you to go out. And we'll talk next week on how we're going to do it. But let me commission you, so would you just close your eyes and just receive this. I'm going to read Romans 12, 1 and 2 over you. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, and you're walking around life. And I want you to place it before God as an offering each day this week. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture. That you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you. Quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well formed maturity in you. God, give us eyes to see. See like you see. God, you're a worker. You work, you shape, you craft, you create, you're an artist. God, you're taking the world somewhere and you actively partner with us. We receive it. We receive that mandate once again to rule and to subdue and to take this earth somewhere in Jesus' name. Amen. You can open your eyes. Last, just gonna invite our altar ministry team to come down to the front. And if you need prayer for anything, we'll stay as long as you need us to, to pray for you no matter what the situation. And like I said, there might be some tension. We're gonna talk through it. But we've got to fortify this pillar. Why? Because all the action's out there, and I've got to just encourage you. Like You've got to get out there. You're where the action is. My time when I, when I was working, I, I see it now even more clear. You're out there, and we've got to fortify you, which is God's call for us as a fivefold ministry. Equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And no, you won't be etching John 3 16 in people's teeth. You'll be bringing peace and goodness and joy, and love, but you'll also be doing great work, and you'll be doing creative work that God's called you to. So let me bless you, and then you're dismissed. Father, thank you for every person in here, Lord. We accept the role that you've given to humanity. God, help us to see it like we've never seen it before, and may it be said of this church, God. May it be said of this church that we are filled with the knowledge of the glory of God and we see it in one another and we see it not as something super, super sensational, God, but something super simple and beautiful. May we recognize it in one another in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Have a great week.